0: Welcome to the Better Together podcast, brought to you by the Emergency Service Foundation.
1: This is a podcast dedicated to supporting and improving the mental health and well-being of the many people, both paid and volunteer, who serve our community in emergency management roles.
0: My name's Susan McKenzie, CEO at
1: the Emergency Services Foundation. And I'm Kate Siebert, the Victorian State Manager of Emergency Services with the Australian Red Cross. It's great to be here with you today.
0: I asked Kate to join me in this conversation today because recovery is the bread and butter of what Red Cross do. And it's the focus of Kate's role. And leadership and recovery is what we'll be talking about today with Elizabeth McNaughton. Elizabeth joins us from New Zealand, where she's worked as an advisor to government on emergency management, She led the Canterbury Earthquake Recovery Program and spent a lot of time with New Zealand Red Cross. Now she applies that experience in a company focusing on recovering she co-founded called Hummingly. So she knows a thing or two about recovery. In fact, she's just come off a a program with um, universities in America, so she's a real international woman today. Thanks so much for joining us, Elizabeth. Thank
2: you, Susan and Kate. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Terrific,
0: terrific. So when we talk about disasters, we think of three phases of planning, response and recovery. What is it that stemmed your interest in the recovery phase?
2: Yeah, well, thinking back a long time now, when I was 26, uh, my first disaster gig was working in South Asia and working on the recovery from the Boxing Day Asian tsunami and it was just so huge so complex so you know I was working for example on the Maldives and it was the Red Cross's largest single relocation and reconstruction project in the world at that time and it had a, a real profound impact on me at that at that moment in my life and I couldn't stop thinking about it it was just there are so many aspects to it it's it's messy it's complex but there is such opportunity and such possibility also for transformation for growth um for innovation and you know it really tested me it 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 took everything I had and was such a, yeah, a really huge experience that really shaped the rest of my professional life.
0: Well, 26 is very young to be faced with that. Oh, my next question was going to be, tell us about a disaster you're involved in as a leader and what did it teach you? It sounds like that was the one.
2: That was the one that got me hooked in this area of recovery. And But the one that I probably learned the most from was the Christchurch earthquakes. I'd been working internationally, but I felt when the Christchurch earthquakes happened that I really needed to apply what I'd learned and do what I could in my country. And so, you know, New Zealand Red Cross had never done recovery before. And, you know, we had a large appeal and we learned a lot and learned a lot from Australian Red Cross which was brilliant and we really had to think everything through and we were so committed to do the best by the people of Christchurch and so this led my co-founder Jolie Wills and I to both do Winston Churchill fellowships and you know because we wanted to know that we were doing the best that we could and recovery has always been quite an immature area of emergency management. Um, and so what we did was we interviewed between us 100 crisis and recovery leaders around the world. You know, we were just so hungry for their wisdom and their knowledge and to learn everything that we could from them. And it was incredible and a privilege to have that wisdom. So what we we really learned from that was the importance of self-care, well-being, and not burning people out. And, you know, we were burning people out, you know. I've seen people burn out all over the world because of that. And when you're there to do good, that's not good enough.
1: So Elizabeth, thanks uh, so much for this. Uh, You did a, your church, your fellowship in 2013, and you traveled the world and you spoke with leaders all over the world. But tell us about some of the people that you met and the disasters that they spoke with you about.
2: Yeah I'll focus on one because it, this conversation really struck a chord with me. So I met with Art Agnos who was the former mayor of San Francisco at the time of the Loma Prieta earthquakes and he said Elizabeth I'll only meet with you if you bring a loaf of Vogel's bread from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> so my whole travel itinerary was based around his loaf of Vogel's bread because, right, you don't want it at the end of the trip. And so I delivered my Vogel's bread and he was very excited by this. And we sat down for this conversation and he he did some really transformative things and if you've been to San Francisco and you see the beautiful waterfront well actually that waterfront had a huge freeway wall in front of it and he really pushed for that to come down but at great political cost right so he lost the next election it was in in some quarters a very unpopular move and I just thought that showed such that and many other actions showed such uh, integrity and focus on the noble purpose and he said to me, you know, did I make a difference? Did I leave the city better than when I found it? And if the answer is yes, then I can be satisfied. If the answer is no, that's a very sad thing to live with. So you know, people like that, that really hold the noble purpose at the centre of what they do and the politics second, was really inspiring to me. Um, and also people, leaders in recovery who have that transformative long-term view whilst holding people at the centre. And so, yeah, he really struck me for that. And I met so many people who were similar. Mm, really inspiring.
1: So I'm really interested in and in why you... Uh, focus deeply in on the leadership aspect of recovery can you tell us a little bit more
2: I think it's because of the possibilities and also because it is complex and it's really hard to do well right you've got complexity you've got scale you've got endurance you've got the psychology of the situation that makes it very different from leading in times in normal times I think, too, you've got really interesting policy questions um, that that need to be answered. And, you know, it's really tough, for example, to create a really stable authorising environment where you can get all the stakeholders on the same page, you can get the green light, and you can do really incredible things together. It is possible, but it's very difficult, and it's hugely challenging. And I think, too, if you look at our world and if you look at where we're heading, And where we are with climate change, with the complexities, with risk being the dominant theme of our age, we need to develop and support leaders who are able to deal with ambiguity, who can adapt, who can lead our world through crisis. And so I'm very focused on recovery leadership supporting recovery leaders and having them grow from the experience and then take on and lead future things. What happens often is that they burn out and never want a bar of it ever again and that is a massive loss given what we need for our world in the future.
1: So thanks so much uh, Elizabeth. What a powerful story you are telling us. Your Winston Churchill Fellowship I'm sure has taught you a lot. What have been some of the big lessons that you're teaching others with your experience.
2: I had this amazing interview with an
1: incredible
2: recovery leader. You know, I was kind of in awe of her, (laughs) but nervous, excited to meet her. And at the time the interview came up, um, she'd actually had a serious mental health episode. And I was surprised she would still meet with me. You know, she could no longer lead her team, no longer work. She was at home. Couldn't really leave the house, and I met with her, and she leant in, and she said to me, "You know, what the scariest thing about all of this is, Elizabeth?" And I said, um, "I don't know." And she said, "I think my team were three or four weeks behind me." Like, oof, right? And that reflection that we lead others to where we are at was really powerful. And you know, I'm a big fan of questions. You know, questions shape the way we see the world. Um, they shape the direction that we grow, and they can anchor us in um, times of crisis because the questions don't change. So the question where am I at and where am I leading others to has been become an anchoring question for me and am I leading people to a place of calm or to a place of chaos right like and we, we often don't intentionally think about that and I found that really powerful especially the last 18 months hummingly we support teams leaders organizations all over the world and I've had to ask myself that question on the regular and so yeah little moments like that were just incredible
0: Mm. that's actually really relevant to the work that we do because ESF is focused on improving mental health outcomes across the Victorian emergency management and emergency services sector And one key area of focus for us is what we call strong leadership. And I'm not talking about big burly blokes, strong leadership. I'm talking about building authentic leaders, you know, um, who who lead teams. And, And you've already talked about people burning out. We're very well aware of people burning out and losing all that experience after big disasters, And, you know, the research here now is pointing to that's what's going to happen post-COVID. You know, people are just exhausted. What advice would you give to leaders to ensure that we better manage the well-being of people working in the recovery space?
2: uh, Jolie and I were working with the CEO of an agency a while ago and pre-COVID, and the last message that we gave on the phone call was, yes, this immediate disaster is huge and difficult, but you need to keep capacity in yourself, in your team, and in your organization for whatever is on the horizon. That was the last message on the phone call. And later catching up, he said, seriously, that last message? Two weeks later, COVID comes along, right, with a hot, com- makes everything more complex and is a whole new challenge. We thought we had a challenge before, and now we have this new reality. And I think it's really important as individuals, as teams, as organizations, that we keep capa- some capacity for whatever is on the horizon, and there's always something, whether it's a, it may be a personal health thing, it may be another disaster, it might be, who knows, right, and if we can lead in a way where we always keep some capacity for what is coming our way, we will do two things, one, we will create three things we'll create the space for that reflection and recovery that we need to grow from adversity we will create a culture where we are not burning people out and three we will be prepared and ready to stand up and lead for the next challenge and yeah
0: it's Mm. very hard though isn't it that's what in victoria you know we've been bombed here COVID came on the back of the bushfires and then we had these incredible storms this year that wiped out areas that, you know, the rest of us who don't live there haven't seen it. And I think until we get to go for our picnic up in the Dandenongs, the the majority of Victorians aren't going to realise just how damaged that was because Mm. it's so hard. we know that in recovery, people are at the centre. But what do recovery leaders need to be most aware of in terms of the well-being of people affected by a disaster?
2: Just, just to your point before, Susan, I think that's a really good one. I think this layering of disasters is new way of being. Mm. And that is why we need to lead for that. And that is why even more than ever before, we have to keep people at the center of what we do and at the heart of what we do, which I think is an excellent question. Um, At Hummingley, we developed Cards for Calamity just for this reason, right? These are 70 cards which take stories, tips, tricks, science, and put it all together in a box. It is basically empathy in a box right, experts in a box, to really help people understand the journey of disaster-affected people. It's very hard for many people who are new coming into this recovery work to really understand what a five to 10-year journey looks like for that affected person. So that's why we created Cards for Calamity, just for that reason, so that people could deeply understand the context and the journey before working with people, but also that disaster-affected people could have the light shone ahead of them so they could get a sense of the journey of others and that they're not alone in this and to give them some of the tips and ways forward that we really wanted to share at scale. So um, that understanding the context, that empathy and that view to the the long-term I think are really important, but it's that deep immersion in what the journey is is so important before doing anything, before designing anything, before making any decisions, because it is a very different context. Mm.
1: So what would be your absolute top priorities for leading recovery following a disaster? My address book.
2: And this is a quick thing that anybody can do. How resilient is your address book? Because in times like this, it's actually the strength of your relationships, right? And by that, I mean, if you think of the recovery petal in the different environments, like, is that reflected in your address book, right? Can you call decision makers? Can you call the media? Can you call people? in the economic environment, in the natural environment, in the built environment, in the social environment, right? Actually, does that model manifest in your address book? And that, I think, is the most powerful thing to lead in a large-scale recovery. Um, Also, to do a calendar audit. Because if you look at your calendar, it also tells you who's influencing you, who you're meeting, who who you're listening to. And it's important to do an audit to understand that, but also to see who's missing, who's not at the table, who's not there making decisions with you, who's not influencing this recovery. So a calendar audit, I would recommend. um, And then it comes back to being a role model for well-being, right? If you're a recovery leader and you're sending emails to your team at 2 a.m., what message are you sending there? yeah it's as simple as that and you know it's yeah three things
0: In it, it, from a personal perspective when we do our mental health matters workshop we talk about that as our support crew you know mm-hmm. it's who, who's in your personal support crew and it can't just be one person it can't just be your partner so for, as a recovery leader you need your support crew um in a different context but it's it's the same same sort of things. absolutely
2: absolutely it's crucial we think of it a bit like having your own personal board for well-being resilience and performance you know like a company has a board um recovery leaders need a board and they need to set it up quite intentionally and thoughtfully and you know there will be There are so many um, moments where you will get the wobbles on. It's so normal. There'll be moments where you lose confidence. There'll be moments when you are frustrated out of your mind. (laughs) And you need these people around you to help guide you. And what we see so often is it's really easy to lose perspective, especially in times of cumulative stress, right? It's so easy to do. And these people can really ground you um, help you to be less blind to yourself yeah great point
1: a lovely segue into my next question for you Elizabeth which is, yes. is really around probably who who's in your circle um, if you could cast your mind back what would you say is the most powerful or helpful advice that you receive from a leader when you're in the thick of it
2: I have been blessed by incredible people in my career and in my life who have guided me and actually when life is tough for me I actually think back on them I think on their advice I'm reminded of my adventures and I was doing that the other day actually and I was working in a a recovery environment that was highly highly political couldn't get more political and you know in that environment you've got people that are exhausted huge time pressures people are ratty you know I got I think I lost perspective I don't think I was my best self were leading in the best way at all and um there was so much As there you know in in recovery we call the politics the disaster behind the disaster right you've got a it feels like a lot of nonsense sometimes ego comes to the fore self interest it, it was all getting a bit much as you can tell anyway I had a new boss and she came in and she took me out for a cup of tea bought me a cup of tea sat down and have a cup of tea and she said I think you need to make like a rock in the sea and you need to let the noise let everything roll past you like the like the waves and just ground yourself and be steady and don't because if you keep getting caught up in every issue and every way if you keep taking everything personally you will keep getting pounded right and you will exhaust yourself you're already exhausted so really you need to make like a rock and be really grounded and really thoughtful about what you can influence and what you can control I thought that was great advice and then in the last 12 months I've had a couple of profound bereavements in my family and then the advice that I've been getting from my, my crew <laughs> is, you know, that that kind of grief, it's like um, it's like being at sea. It's like the waves. At times you feel like you're drowning and at times there'll be space between the waves. You'll feel you can live again. But overall, you need to go with the waves. You need to feel them. And so then I thought about this and I, I thought about, Disaster recovery, and you know there are moments where you absolutely you have to make it like a rock. That doesn't mean you're immovable; it just means that you're grounded, and um, you can't go with every issue. And there are times because you, you, and your people are working in a context of profound grief, right? That you need to go with those waves. You need to feel what's happening. You need to have compassion and empathy. So the question that that anchoring question for me is when do, when to make like a rock and when to go with the waves mm. and being intentional about that and thinking about that has been really helpful for me. And it, ha, it really does help you not get caught up in the noise and focus on what's important.
1: Wow. Mm. That is <laughs> so powerful. And I think particularly for any Victorians listening to this podcast, incredibly topical and powerful for right now and how we're feeling. So I I continue to learn. I've been doing recovery for well over a decade now and, and I continue to learn. So thank you so much. I think really powerful lessons in there, Elizabeth. My next question is really about um the people that we service as part of the work that we do. So what values do you think is, are important when uh, we're working with disaster-affected people? Mm, there's only one.
2: And it's what we hold at the heart of Hummingley. And it's it's not surprising. It's do no harm. And that's been my anchor throughout my entire career. And if that is truly at the center of your practice, at the center of your organization, and at the center of your learning, that's what you need to do. Always focus on the do no harm. And everything else generally comes right from that.
0: Hmm. So that's, um, yeah, I'm sort of sitting here really taking in what you're saying because recovery is not my space. I find what you are saying is applying to so much to the work that we're doing, you know, in, in, in mental health. So just to finish up, I'd be really interested to know from your deep understanding of recovery, what do you think would be the most important for the emergency services management sector to apply to a post-COVID recovery here in Victoria, Australia? Mm. I think it comes back to your point
2: around how, you know, in this short period of time you've been affected by fires, floods, droughts, COVID. Mice. Mice, even mice. My goodness, plague. it's you know so the learning from two things from that one is that we need to support people teach people encourage people to be adaptable for whatever may come and that's not easy but these events are so rich in terms of learning, right? We learn so much about ourselves. We learn about how to lead. We learn about our society, our world. That's why I love working in disaster recovery because, and Kate, you you brought this up too, right? Like it's a continual learning process. And so I would encourage that in emergency management in Australia that there is that support and those learning opportunities to Develop leaders who are prepared for whatever may come, personally and professionally, and that's that's no easy task. And the other thing is that it's actually learning from disasters. (laughs) Traditionally, it's not done well, no. And for all sorts of reasons, coming back often to the politics, the ego, the you know, as a leader to own right things that may have not gone so well I think is a sign of terrific leadership yeah but often that doesn't happen and so how can we learn really and from all of these events to support future leadership to be able to lead and adapt for whatever may come are the two points that I'd like to make, but
0: yeah. that's a very timely comment because just yesterday our inspector general for emergency management tabled his report into the fires yesterday in parliament and and of course there's lots of uh, recommendations and learnings in that and the other thing that I think at the moment where we're at is that our agencies are so busy responding they've recognized learnings along the way you know they've seen that this wasn't quite how they would have hoped they've learnt but have they had time to actually document that and capture it or are they just on this treadmill you know and that's that's something that concerns me because you know a disaster really exposes so many weaknesses in systems that that where we where we can do better Elizabeth,
2: um, sorry, go on. Yeah, Susan, I'm I'm glad you brought that up about the systems, right? Because recovery only works well when it is a system wide effort. But then, how we collaborate and how we learn together is the challenge. So I would say that this is not something for just for emergency management or emergency services, but how do we learn and collaborate as a system? to really face the challenges of our future is at the heart of the challenge. And I remember years ago, ah, Hurricane Katrina, and we were watching it on the news. I was with some disaster mates and watching it play out. And one of the senior members, he went into the archives and pulled out a report from the 70s. And he read the recommendations out to us as we're watching Hurricane Katrina response and debates and all that about that. And the recommendations (laughs) were exactly what we were seeing playing out, right, on the TV and being discussed. and, And so, yeah, this is something we've really got to come to grips with if we are going to be ready
0: for the for, for what yeah, is That's so face. often the case, so often the case. Mm-hmm. Look, Elizabeth, it's been fantastic speaking with you today. I know Kate and I have really enjoyed it. And as she said, she's learned something speaking with you. I've certainly learned something. I know the audience uh, who listen will learn something too. So thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this Emergency Services Foundation Better Together podcast. We aims to provide you with insights about mental health and wellbeing from experts, thought leaders like Elizabeth and people on the ground. If you'd like to know more about
1: the work that the Emergency Services Foundation does, you can jump online at www.esf.com.au to find out more. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It is a pleasure, a pleasure. Thank you so
2: much, Go well.